and finish up our series on relations in Genesis. This is part six, and uh, what we're doing is we're looking at the life of Joseph, but in two parts. So last week, we did Joseph at home, and today, we're going to do Joseph at work, at work. And many people don't think about this when they read the life of Joseph in the Old Testament. We look at, you know, the, he's the man with the, with the much-colored coat. Oh, and by the way, let me, let me tell you this now. Uh, if you want to watch a really good presentation on uh, the life of Joseph, this is a stage show. Uh, from Sight and Sound over in Lancaster, Pennsylvania. We've played their stuff many times and promoted them. Uh, I've been there myself a few times, and uh, they have a great presentation of the life of Joseph. So if you want to watch it, it's free. Today is the last day that they're, they're broadcasting this on the Trinity Broadcasting Network. You go to tbn.org. And, you know, you'll probably have to make a login, etc. But you get to watch it for free. And I'm telling you, the quality is really good. So if you're looking for something to do today in the afternoon, nice cup of tea, you got a couple of hours on your hands, you want something to do with the kids, it's, it's fantastic, folks. Beautifully done music and all kinds of things. Just wonderfully done, the life of Joseph that they have there. So we're going to look at Joseph at work today and his... Uh, life is in 13 chapters in the book of Genesis, as we saw last week. Uh, but I want to shift it uh, because there's, um, there's something that people often miss when they look at his life. And, you know, they think about he's the example of forgiveness and how he forgives his, his brothers for how they treated him and threw him into a pit and sold him into slavery. And they think about his prophetic dreams and how he... Uh, was able to interpret dreams, or he had dreams that were prophetic, and how he was used to save the nation. And, and people think about those things, but they don't often look at the fact that this man worked. And in fact, he actually had what you could call three jobs. And I think it's really, really vital that people in churches uh, appreciate this in the book of Genesis, because most of you work, have worked, or are working, yes? How many of you, you're working? Yeah, put your hand up. How many of you, you're, well, you're kind of like semi-retired, hoping to retire quicker? You're still busy, but you're quote-unquote, you know, on the way out of the workforce, but it's a, a huge part of your life. It's a huge part of your life. And oftentimes, um, in church settings, it's not addressed. And it's almost as if, well, if someone is in the clergy, if they're a pastor or an evangelist or a missionary or something, that that's very significant and very important, and for sure it is. But what about the rest? What about the 98, 99% of people who don't work in the clergy, so to speak, you know? I look out in this room and I see people who are in construction, education, hospitals, schools, labor, all kinds of different fields, uh, uh, people who are studying, some people study for a living, you know, your PhD and you, you know, all these things. There's a, such a wide scope. And this is often not appreciated or addressed because people think that the Scripture doesn't say anything about that. 
And all, it, all the Bible cares about is, you know, pastors, teachers, evangelists, prophets, and so on. That's not all the Bible cares about. The Bible cares about you too. And the 98, 99% of people who are not doing those things. And Joseph is a prime example, a magnificent example that you can learn many lessons how he related to people as he worked, as he worked, okay? So just a, a brief, brief review of his jobs. Uh, his first job, you could say, and we, we went over this last week, was in Egypt. Now, how did he end up in Egypt? Yeah, he was sold. He was actually sold and resold. So he, his brothers have a conspiracy, a plot to kill him, right? And then they say, well, why are we going to, it's kind of a waste to kill him. Let's sell him. And so they throw him into this pit, and then they decide to sell him to the Midianites, and then the Midianite caravan decides to resell him to Egypt. And he ends up in Egypt. He's 17 years old. He's a Hebrew young man, young boy. And he ends up in the Egypt is not, uh, you know, this is a pagan place. And he's there. And what happens to him? He ends up being bought by the captain of the guard, a man of pretty high standing in Egypt at the time. You're talking... Ooh, upwards of 4,000 years ago in the Middle East, maybe 3,500 years ago. So, man of very high standing, has a large, uh, probably a palatial thing. He even has a prison as part of his whole complex there. We find that out later. And it's his first job, in a sense, at 17 years old. He's put in charge of the household of Potiphar, that's his name, uh, his boss, if you will, and he's really good at his job, if you remember. He's, he starts to run the house, and lo and behold, the blessing of God is on the house, this Egyptian house. The house is doing very well under Joseph's administration. He's running it beautifully, and in the blessing of God is upon it. The harvest is fantastic for Potiphar. Everything is working like on all four cylinders, and it's obvious that it's because Joseph is there that God is blessing the house. And you see this in Genesis uh, uh, 37 and so on. You, you see this very clearly stated to us. It's because of Joseph that things are going so well. Amazing. It's his first job, and he's doing so well, and he's in this I mean, this totally non-Hebrew place, and he's not uh, uh, seeking vengeance against his brothers. He's just working, and you see how well he does. Well, uh, he may be well-liked by his boss, but he's even more liked by his boss's wife, right? And who, who uh, I affectionately call the original desperate housewife, uh, Potiphar's wife. We don't know her name, but she's right out of that television show. No, I've never watched the show, okay? But uh, I, I take it that's what, kind of what it's about. And in any case, uh, he, he is approached aggressively by her. It's not, let's go have tea. I mean, she is making aggressive advances toward a 17-year-old, red-blooded, young, apparently he's a good-looking guy. We're told that in the text as well. 
and she's making advances on him, and he refuses, 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 right? And then you remember the story, she's going to try one more time, very, very aggressive, and he runs, he gets out of there, and he says, how can I do such a wicked thing and sin against God? And he runs, and, and she grabs a hold of him, and he, he runs off, and his garment is left in her hands, and so she uses that garment to invent an allegation against him that he tried to, to assault her. And, of course, the boss believes his wife over his slave or employee in that, in that context, and uh, he ends up in prison, right? Now, just, just as an aside, and we talked about this last week, folks, like this young man's integrity and his commitment to holiness is off the charts. I see some, some young men here off the charts. Incredible that a 17-year-old would have that kind of self-control and that kind of rock-solid commitment to God. He's alone in this palace with this woman. Now, it doesn't say if she, what she looked like, but I take it she presented herself to him in such a way that was extremely enticing. And yet he does not go for it. He does not fall for it. He will not, will not, will not sin against God. It's just incredible how close he was to God there and how he, he, he paid the price ultimately. And he ends up now in the prison, right? And, uh, but you see that in the prison, he gets his next job. He ends up working for the warden. And he's such a model prisoner that the warden puts him in charge. The same way that Potiphar put him in charge of his house, the warden puts Joseph in charge of the prison. He's such a model prisoner. And guess what? The prison's doing very well. All the prisoners are, you know, really tame and everything is going great. And the warden says, I can put my feet up. This guy's in charge. Everything is running really smoothly. Once again, here's Joseph doing his thing, and now he's in the prison. We know that he's in there for at least two years. It's probably longer. The text gives us a clue that he's there for at least two years. And uh, he, he only gets out because a, a, there are two interesting characters that you meet in the prison, and they're really nicely, I'll go back to this slide, they're really nicely portrayed in this, in this show, if you want to watch it this afternoon. Just amazing. But, but anyway, I'll go back here. And he meets these two characters in the in the prison. Do you remember who they are? They're nameless. One of them's a baker, and one of them's a cupbearer. Both, they both work for the pharaoh. So presumably the cupbearer bears the cup. Some say maybe he was the one who checked to see if there's poison before. And then you have the baker, who I guess baked for, for the pharaoh. And these people end up in prison. We don't know why. And they have these dreams, very peculiar dreams. Joseph, of course, who's able to interpret prophetic dreams and even have prophetic dreams, he interprets them and he says, well, something's good, really good going to happen to one of you and something terrible is going to happen to the other. And one of them gets released from prison and the other one is executed. Just the way that the text is, is very straightforward. And so the, uh, it's the cupbearer who lives, it's the baker who, who dies, and Joseph says to the cupbearer before he's released from prison, he says, remember me. And he doesn't. He forgets about him. Until, lo and behold, 
Pharaoh starts having dreams, very peculiar dreams, very disturbing dreams. And so, lo and behold, circumstances being as they are, the cupbearer says, wait a second, there's a guy in prison who I met, and he should remember him because he interpreted his dream correctly, which saved his life. And he says, um, he interprets dreams. So, Pharaoh brings him and says, here's the dreams. He describes the dreams to him. And uh, Joseph interprets these dreams as a, a series of events that will happen over the next 14 years. So it's going to be seven years of, of, of abundance, of grain, of harvest, and then there's going to be seven years of brutal famine. And Joseph comes up with an elaborate plan, which will become his third job. And he says, here's what you do. You take 20%. You take a fifth of the grain. It's really like an insurance policy, if you put it in modern terms. And he says, you're going to take 20%, you take a fifth of it, and you store it away during the years of abundance. And then, when the years of famine come, you're going to have enough to supply the needs of the people, and the people won't starve. That's what you do. And the Pharaoh, of course, is really impressed by Joseph and Joseph's amazing abilities to, to administrate and so on and to see these things and to interpret these dreams and says, well, you're the one who came up with the plan, so go ahead. <laughs> I, give you the, I give you the driver's seat, execute the plan. And he trusts Joseph, and you see that Joseph is jettisoned into authority, becomes number two in authority to only the Pharaoh himself. So you see this pattern in this man's life. He's in Potiphar's household. He's in Potiphar's jail. And he's number two in Egypt. He is the governor. He controls the whole thing. The, the, the Pharaoh just basically sits and watches with amazement to see how Joseph displays this, these gifts and is able to enact this amazing plan that 20% went on even after the famine. They kept that whole principle going. Just as a side note, uh, that's, that's like an insurance policy. And um, if you don't have that, I'm just going to give this to you for free. You need insurance on your life. You need insurance on your car. And you need insurance on where you live. Just giving you that for free, okay? Joseph figured it out in Genesis we, we, it's the same thing today. I mean, you can, you can get insurance on all those things for less than 20% of what you make, and you'll sleep well at night. Well, Joseph, he, he helped everybody sleep well for 14 years. So he's the guy who came up with it in a sense. And just amazing to watch him when you consider that these really, back in that context, are like three different jobs. And there are lessons profound lessons that we can learn uh, from Joseph in observing how he comports himself as he's working. Just as, a, as a, a first observation, and this is one of the most significant uh, statements in the whole narrative. It's stated in different ways, but the most clear way is the Lord was with Joseph. You see it in Genesis 39-2, Genesis 39-21-23, and in different ways. The Lord was with Joseph. 
So he's in the, in the, the, the household of Potiphar. The Lord was with Joseph. He's in the prison. The Lord was with Joseph. He's number two in command of Egypt. The Lord was with Joseph. What is amazing to me is that Joseph is not seemingly concerned. There's no statement from him. There's no statement or observation from the author of the book of Genesis, who's Moses. There's nothing about this, the whole story that seems to be concerned with the fact that this man has been mistreated. So he ends up in these places of work, if you will, not really by his own choosing. So you wouldn't say to Joseph, you know, while he's out tending the flocks and so on and working with his 11, his 11 brothers, you know, and having dreams, you wouldn't say to Joseph, hey, Joseph, you want to go work in Egypt for uh, the captain of the guard? be the administrator in his house? Would you like to fill out an application for that position? Right? That's not how he ended up in Potiphar's house. He ended up in Potiphar's house because of suffering. He gets attacked by his brothers. They're jealous of him. They throw him down a pit. They sell him into slavery. And he ends up not by his own choosing in that first job. And he ends up not by his own choosing in that second job in the prison, and not by his own choosing as number two in authority of the whole nation. Why is the scripture not concerned with his preference? Why is it not, well, this is what I would like to do, and so I go and I, you know, this is my choice of employment, see, because I have a right to choose where I work and so on. Folks, like, Sometimes in life, you end up working somewhere just because you end up working somewhere. You didn't really necessarily choose it sometimes. It didn't necessarily go your way sometimes. It just circumstances being as they were, that's where you ended up. And you have to work. You've got to, you know, put food on your table and so on. And so you ended up there. Was it your preference? Was it your choice? Did you fill out a job, a job application for that one? Maybe not. Maybe you just slipped into it, see? And this is, this is a profound truth that I find people miss when they're out in the workforce. The issue for God is not so much where you're working. The issue for God is, is He with you where you're working? That's the priority that God wants for you. Is he with you? Whether you're on the construction site or you're in the classroom or you're in the hospital or you're behind a computer screen or whatever it is you're doing, is God with you or not? Where you're working, while it's important, it's not as important as if God is with you or not. You see, and this is the concern of the scripture here, the Lord was with him. Ah, because the Lord was with him, the environment around him actually prospered. A non-Jewish environment. This is a pagan culture that he's in, and the environment is prospering because of him and that God is with him. And this is the concern. Folks, you're not always going to get it your way. The, the question that you need to answer every morning when you get up to go to that job is, is God with me today or not? 
Because where I'm going may not be my choice. It may not be my preference. It may not be my milieu. But ah, if God is with me, then I can, I can get done what I need to get done today. If Joseph could do it where he was in all those bizarre situations and under duress all the time, surely we can do it today. That's the question you've got to answer when you look at yourself in the mirror before you go to work in the morning. Is God with me today or isn't he? And if I'm not sure of that, then I got I to gotta fix that problem before I get out there and I go out and work. Number two, and again, I think we miss this. It's it's obvious, but I think we missed the, um, the application for us today. He made his work his ministry. So he's not a priest. He's not a prophet. Though he has prophetic dreams, though he interprets prophetic dreams, that's not his office. That's not his, he's not recognized that way. His brothers didn't think he was a priest or a prophet. His father didn't think he was a priest or a prophet. They thought he was a bit of a loudmouth, actually, right? Because he boasts about his dreams. Even his father and his mother are upset because he has a dream that he actually rises to authority over even them. And they don't like that. The brothers certainly don't, don't like that. But he's not recognized as a prophet or a priest as per the, the, the context of the time. He's just a regular Joe right? And yet, everywhere he goes, you see the gifts of God in action, everywhere. It doesn't matter. He can be in an Egyptian guard, captain of the guard's house. What happens? He does ministry there. His gifts of administration, his gifts of leadership, he starts to run the place. And, the, and the, it's so obvious to his boss that, wow, I'll just put him in charge. Look at how good he is at what he does. There's blessing, there's prosperity because of this young man. And he, he makes a decision, apparently, to use the spiritual gifts of God in whatever context he's in. It doesn't matter. Well, let's try throwing him in prison. Well, he uses his gifts there. Well, he gets out of prison, interprets dreams, and he, he uses his gifts to save the lives of arguably it's tens of thousands, if not hundreds of thousands of people. He, he saves their lives because to him, where he was, was ministry. Everything is ministry to him. He's not delineating between, well, you know, I wish I was a priest. I wish I was a prophet. For him, wherever he goes, that's ministry. I have had the occasion of of doing bivocational, what they call bivocational ministry, so running the church and then working a couple of days a week over at the uh, food bank over in Brossard. And I'm still attached there, but just as a volunteer right now. But I've done the bivocational thing. Folks, even before I was in, in ministry and before I was pastoring, and the man who who brought me into the pastorate is in this room right now. And <laughs> we did many, many years together. Pastor Don Mann, who will be speaking on the 11th of December, by the way, who we're privileged to have him uh, here today, him and his, and his wife and her parents are here as well. But I was in the marketplace on Friday and in the church office on Monday. It didn't make any difference to me, folks, because I use the same principles. It's ministry. You're out there in a non-clergy role, 
Folks, that's your ministry. You say, well, I can't stand it. I can't stand where I work. Well, why can't you stand it? You can, you can turn that another way. Are you in a prison cell? Uh, were you sold into slavery and ended up in some, some guy's house working for him who bought you? Like, you, you are where you are, okay, but you can decide to say, you know what, I'm going to take this job, whichever it is, and, you know, I'm sweeping the floor, I'm working in a restaurant, I'm working on a construction site, I'm in the classroom, I'm in the hospital, I'm wherever. I say, wait a second, this is my ministry. I want God's gifts to flow through my life and through my hands as I'm typing on this computer screen, as I'm making this call, as I'm talking to this person who I don't like. I want the gifts of God to flow through me, see? And when you look at it that way, it doesn't matter what they do to you. It doesn't matter how they treat you. It matters that God is with you, and it matters that you say, this is my ministry. This is where I am right now. This is where I believe God has me right now. So I'm going to, this is ministry here. These people are my church. They have no source of information about God, probably apart from you. If you're a Christian and you're out there in the marketplace, you are their preacher, you are their pastor, you are their prophet, you are their evangelist. They hear what they hear from God because of you. They know what they know of God because of you. If you are living an authentic Christian life, it's going to just, it's just going to bleed out, and people are going to see that. They're going to see something in you that's different. It's going to open up opportunity for them and you to have conversation, and over time, you're going to be known as, oh, there's the Christian. Good. What are you showing them? Because what Joseph showed them was, wow. He's trustworthy. I mean, everybody wanted Joseph to work for him. Everybody, you know, he, he, no matter where he goes, he's, he's just the touch of God is on his life. The only person who causes Joseph problems once he starts working, apart from his brothers and so on, the only person who causes him problems is Potiphar's wife. Everybody else is like, we need to hear what he says. We need to, we need to do what he says because what he says works, his, his God works, everything. We need Joseph on our team. And this is the way, in my view, this is the way that the, the world should want Christians working for them. They should, they should ask people in job descriptions, uh, in job interviews, uh, are you one of those Christians? You are? Okay, I want you working for me. Does that happen? No, it's th that's so sad. That's so unfortunate. Because if we, if we took our, our cues from, for example, Joseph, then we would be, the, the Christian would be the most wanted person in the marketplace. Now when you tell a person you're a Christian in a, in a job interview, they look at you sideways. Oh, you're a Christian. They didn't do that with Joseph. They looked at Joseph, well, whoa, whoa, he's, we want him on our team. So that's because he made his work his ministry. He didn't have to be a clergyman. He didn't have to be a prophet or a priest. He had to have God with him. And because God was with him, he says, my work is my ministry. And you see that you see it flow out of his life no matter where he goes. He can't help it. And number three, his boss is not his boss. So Potiphar is not his boss. The warden's not his boss. 
The Pharaoh's not his boss. They think they are. I mean, they think that, you know, he's technically working for them and so on. But that's, that's not Joseph's boss. Joseph's boss is who? It's God. It's God. That's, his, that's who he wants to please. And he sees the whole, the whole thing, his whole life story, he sees as God was up to this thing. God's the one who brought me to this prison. God's the one who brought me to this nation. God's the one who did this because God had a huge, big, grand plan to save the lives of tens of thousands of people, including my own household and family who disowned me, threw me out, left me for dead, and sold me into slavery, including them and all their families. God had a whole plan, and that's why all these things happened to me. You meant it for, to harm me, but God meant it for good. He took the situation and he twisted it in a way that glorified him and that saved people's lives. How does he get this perspective? How does he see this? How does he have such a wide scope, a wide vision? How is a young, a young man able to discern that I'll tell you how, because his boss is God. He's not working for people, he's working for God. Once again, you see the priority of his relationship with God. It's the first thing in his life. It has to be, no matter the circumstance, it's God who he's working for. You see this uh, written later, uh, hundreds into a couple of thousand years later, you see this written by the Apostle Paul, and he, he says it, really nicely here, and it kind of, it's kind of a summation statement uh, of Joseph and how he comports himself in the marketplace here. Uh, it, Colossians chapter 4, oh, sorry, Colossians chapter 3, I made a mistake, Colossians 3 and 23. Whatever you do, whatever you do, doesn't matter if you're a pastor, a priest, a prophet, a teacher, an evangelist, a baker, a cupbearer, a prison warden, a governor working for some guy in his house, you know, with his wife trying to make advances on you, working in renovation, working in a school, working behind your computer screen, working in a restaurant, working in a store. It doesn't matter. It says whatever you do, work at it with all your heart. So when you do your job, you give 100%. You don't say, well, my pay is low, so my output is low. They pay me this amount, so you know what they're going to get from me? They're going to get, well, what they pay for. That's not the Christian's view. The Christian's view is, no, 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 no. Whatever I do, I work at it with all my heart. I give 100%. I don't I don't uh, hold something back that I could do. I work at it with all my heart. Why? Not for men. So they're not your boss. So wait a minute. The, the, the paycheck is signed by them. I mean, I was interviewed by them. They're the boss. You know, I, I may like them. I may not, may not like them. But they're the boss. No. You're, you're working not for men, you're working for the Lord. God is your boss, and it doesn't matter what you're doing, doesn't matter 
the, the, the context, the, the, the milieu, the locale. I mean, obviously, folks, God doesn't want you working in something illegal, right? If you're in organized crime today, you should probably get out of organized crime. Okay, that, that should be obvious. But I don't think anybody's into organized crime here. I don't see any drug dealers or any of that, you know, in the audience here. Maybe there are some online. I'm not sure, but I doubt it, right? So that's obvious. But you, you know what he's talking about here. There's a wide, wide, wide scope of what you're doing. Well, you, when you work, whatever you do, you give 100%. Why? Because you're working for the Lord, not for men. Not for people is the point. So that means when nobody's looking, when your boss isn't looking, you're not trying to impress the boss. Who are you trying to impress? The Lord. And you know what's going to happen when your boss sees that? Your boss is going to say, wow, I I wasn't policing this person. And look at the amazing job that they did. Mm, That's a person who I can trust. Why can I trust that person? Why are they that way? You see? And automatically your life starts to shine through. Because why? God is with you. You make your work your ministry. And you say, who am I working for? The Lord, not men. That kind of attitude, that kind of posture is going to totally transform the relationships that you have with people in the marketplace. It will completely transform them. And you will find yourself ministering every day. Because what are you doing? Just what Joseph did. Just what he did. So I want to pray for you as we finish up today. No need for for any musicians. But if someone could go and get the kids and bring them in here. Because you are going to be treated this morning. uh, And I want them to be in front of you so that they can feel what it's like. Uh, But I'm going to close in prayer here, and if someone could bring the kids in, and when we're finished, uh, at the end of the prayer, can you cut the stream so that we can, you know, just work with them without it being streamed live? The people will see them live next week, okay? Father, I pray for each person who's in this room today, and uh, people, uh, uh, electronic audience as well. Lord, uh, this man's life is such an example to us. I pray, God, for people who think that their job is meaningless, people who are in in jobs that they think are useless. They may even be embarrassed to say where they work. I pray in the name of Jesus, Lord, you would just, you would breathe life and encouragement into people. Wherever there are people to be touched, Lord, that's where you plant us. That's where you put us. And so I pray, Father, that you would enable people, no matter where they're working, by the power of your Spirit, God, to to work as unto you, Lord, that uh, the, the presence of Jesus would just be so real and so practical in people's lives that people would want to know and they would see and say, what is it that makes this person behave this way? What is it that makes this person talk this way, react this way? What is it about them? Oh God, I pray you would use people and people would change their perspective. I pray for the one Lord who's there in a, in a job today and they just, they're this close to just leaving it and saying, I've had a enough. Lord, would you speak to that person? Maybe there's, maybe there's something 
something that they need to change. Maybe there's an attitude shift that needs to happen. Maybe it is the end, but Lord, would you speak to people? Would you impress upon people by your spirit the significance of what they do Monday to Friday, God? It's ministry. Would you encourage people? Would you use people? I pray for spiritual conversations to happen, that you would anoint people's lips in this room, Lord, that they would go out in that marketplace and be able to share Jesus with people in a real, authentic, and practical way, Lord, that we would be salt and light in a dark world. We pray together today in Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Well, are the kids in the... It takes a while, I guess, for them to come from 11 to 10. <laughs> okay, if we can stop the stream now. And so now we shift